Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers open think tank. Hope everybody's doing okay out there after the storm. Latest projections over there in Vermilion Parish is that uh, the Vermilion River, uh, well, just all over, even here in Lafayette, is uh, slowly falling back down. And hopefully if we don't get additional heavy rains here, we're going to see that trend continue, uh, which is a good thing as it's high, as it's high right now. But uh, for all of our brothers and sisters uh, west of us who took it really hard, uh, thoughts and prayers go out to you guys and uh, everybody out there. Just keep staying safe. And let's hope these um, disturbances out in the Atlantic right now don't come this way as it has been. Um, I don't even know what word you would use to describe 2020. I guess you could use all kind of different ones. Uh, Gus Cattengale, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, joins us now, Gus. 2020, man, uh, in terms of sports, I guess the word we could use is uh, unprecedented because uh, it's been a year of firsts for many reasons, hasn't it? Yeah, man. Um I think a lot of people sort of feel like uh, this circuit in. I, I, I said earlier this week, Scott, I, I wonder if New Year's Eve will be one of the biggest party nights that most people have, whether it's at their place or whatever, just like symbolically, just kind of turn the page, man. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's, it, it's just one of those times right now, man, where um, – you know, I started the show yesterday, and and it, it had, you know, it was nothing really about what the sports world had gone into that night before or anything like that. It was a, okay, let's have a conversation. And that first hour, I, I thought was as enlightening and also as as needed. I think because uh, I think a lot of people have things to say on both sides, and you know, I approached a lot of what's going on right now in terms of look, I, I want real opinions, real voices, real people, you know, on, on what athletes are doing, on how sports, I think, is um, being presented and, and, and could change or maybe be changed for a bit. I mean, I, you know, or, or be the new face of it. Um, you know, when you have athletes saying, hey, we're tired of entertaining America, and you have the consumer being asked essentially to either support or not or how much of their support is. And, and, and I, again, it's, it's interesting to me to kind of see all the different aspects of it um, because it, it's not just games anymore or, um, you know, who's going to win and lose. So that's yeah, a very interesting time in sports, man. And it's not, uh, like I said yesterday, I mean, it's not just NBA. I mean, you saw what nine NFL teams, Scott, not practice. You're seeing you know, major league baseball teams not play. Uh, Major League Soccer, uh, hockey. So um, when the entire sports world stops, um, at the very least, people are going to talk. Yeah, I guess that's the point, right? Um, because folks will say, oh, well, what's the point? It's it's to yeah. create more momentum toward a discussion, uh, towards some change. Uh, there's there's the cynical part of me that's like, I don't know if it'll work. And then there's a, another part, an optimistic part of me, I guess, at times where I'm like, hey, it's – I certainly respect um, the the right to to protest. I do, um, and you know, where, however you're doing it. I mean, obviously, not you know in a in a destructive way, but uh, certainly, certainly, you know, this is not this is a peaceful protest of what these teams are doing. I mean, that's what's that's what's happening, and I think the idea of like like oh, I go to sports for an escape, and and look, I 
I get it. I get it. But it's not, this isn't a, a television series that's like scripted and played out. You know that where okay, I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna watch you know one of these Fast and Furious movies. Well, you know you, you kind of know what you're gonna get before you see it. But you like want an escape. But that's that's acted out. That's done in front of cameras. That's edited after the fact. That's just not what sports is. It's played by right. human beings and. The, you know, I think for those that say, I just, I would, I, I would rather them just keep it out of sports. I think those days are gone, Gus. You know, I think that genie is out of the bottle. Yeah. And for those that say, well, I'll never drink out of that bottle again. Okay. That's your right. But I, if you're still hoping that genie's going to go back in the bottle, I don't think it's ever going back in the bottle, uh, Gus. I think I'm not saying that we're going to have protest every week or every month or, I, I, I mean, I guess we could. I don't know that that's going to happen, but this idea that uh, athletes aren't going to speak out more or be asked about it more or be very vocal or be unified in something uh, that they that they believe in outside of the sport, but in terms of society, the idea that they're not going to um, you know speak out on it or or bring it to someone's attention when they have a platform that they feel look we have a platform but so many voiceless do not so we want to kind of speak for them uh, that's that's going to continue that genie's not going back in the bottle and if you don't want to drink out of the bottle anymore that's your right okay but it's not going back in the bottle. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more um, and that's kind of what I spoke about yesterday. And- I've been really in, um, in what we've seen is, you know, what I've called some of, you know, essentially the summer of empowerment. Um, Scott, what, and we've seen this, whether it's a product, you know, you're referencing the analogy of a bottle, whether it's a product or, or something. Um, I think one of the things that is going to be impossible is to no longer see essentially um, somebody that doesn't have, that 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 a group that feels that there's power, all of a sudden, and um, you know one of the things that you think um, that you have power, and 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 all of a sudden you know it's going to go away that way. Athletes have realized, um, figured out however you want to use it, uh, the phrase that they they can control things. Um, we don't even need to go to the political realm. What happened yesterday evening or yesterday, Scott, Nebraska sued the Big Ten. Nebraska players sued the Big Ten for their right to play football. Um, before that, you had the Pac-12 forming coalition of players wanting rights, demanding, you know, 50% of revenue, demanding health care, demand. So, I mean, essentially, college players trying to unionize. That has nothing to do with politics or racism and things of that nature. Now, it might have brought about some of that in their, in their view, but that's my point. I mean, you can pick a, a handful of topics um, and, and issues that you've seen this summer where the athletes are either demanding or saying, we won't play unless this happens, which is remarkable when you consider that a scholarship is an offer. Um, and, and, and as you mentioned, the consumer can either choose to or not. And that's what I've kind of been exploring the last couple of days. To me, that, that's what's going to be the interesting dynamic of this because that power lies in the threat of not playing. That power 
lies in, well, if this isn't Mets or if this doesn't happen, well, then you won't see the game. You won't see, um, you know, the league or you won't see the sports that you want. Well, what happens if enough consumers and people say no problem? And I don't think it's because they don't feel that issue or they want to go that way. As I explained yesterday on the show, I, you know, when you look at social media, I try to look at the comments sometimes on different posts, and I, and I spend sometimes endlessly scrolling just to see both sides and why certain people feel that way and how it's attacking. I just everything's so volatile right now um, that it's it's remarkable that we will ever find common ground on anything because if you have an opinion and it differs from that other opinion, it's not hey let's try to understand where you're coming from. It's attack the other people um, yeah. one way, shape, or form. Unfortunately, and, man, like, God, it's just, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's crazy. Social man. media is not a place for any kind of civil discourse. It's not. And no, yet, and yet but, but let, that's where so many interact now with discussions. You know, like, like you used to converse with individuals maybe that you work with or your friends or whoever – now, so many converse on social media, and there is no discourse whatsoever. It's not a place to go for it. But the idea of we'll go do it somewhere else, well, there's, there's not. I mean, it's, it's, you could do it, and, but a lot of people don't. And when you do do it, you know, somebody might already be so buckled down in one thing that it's like, I don't know. Hopefully, it, it, hopefully it'd be more civil than it is online. But so it's like, it's not a place to go for civil discourse. And yes, that is where. Millions and millions and millions of folks go to have a discourse that ultimately, like if you go to Twitter and you're you're it's it's a it's a it's a subject matter, um, you know, that deals with perhaps the shooting of Jacob Blake. Um, you're going to find some tweets that anger you and you're going to respond to it and be mad or you're going to find some that you agree with and you're going to like it or retweet it. Like what? But like, what are you what are, ultimately what is that doing for you or for the cause you believe in. Like, I mean, I think, you know, that's why what athletes are doing, you know, you have this collective power and they're having these conversations that aren't new to them, but perhaps new to a lot of other folks. And they're trying to force them to have these conversations, whether they agree with them or not. Some people get mad. I don't want to play anymore, but this idea that they don't have any skin in the game, um, you know, look, if, if you don't if, – if, if ultimately you don't play and they decided they were going to play, but ultimately if you decide mm-hmm. you don't, and, and this could happen in the future in any sport, whatever it might be, guess what? You're not going to fulfill the TV contract. You're go- not, you, not, in addition to just the game checks you're not going to get for games you don't play, if you don't fulfill, say, a TV contract, well, guess what? The, cap, the salary cap is going to go down a ton. Uh, you're ultimately mm-hmm. going to lose money in future earnings in the future – the league's going mm-hmm. to get hurt. And so I think, I think you know, a lot of these players understand that. Certainly those that run the unions understand that, that are part of the unions, they get that. And so there's, there's this idea of, well, what do they have to lose or this or that? You know, I, I kind of understand the cynical side of this when someone's like, ultimately, what is it, what is it actually going to do? I don't know. Maybe – what is it actually going to change? I mean, even even with more conversation, if the conversation doesn't go anywhere, if there's no discourse and it's just, you know, continued butting heads of one side, you know, not agreeing with the other, then ultimately we might look back at, you know, this this week in late August of 2020 
as a stand that you know was was maybe was was done in vain. But if it leads to something, really to me, the bigger story of this week's story in sports is what comes next. Like that to me is the bigger story. I don't know what comes next, um, but I know that they're at this point planning to play. They're planning on having games today, and the other sports are planning to play. But something else could happen in the year 2020, Gus, that could lead to perhaps a bigger version of what unfolded this week. And then, you know, we could say, well, would this be happening right now if that thing hadn't happened back in August, if that makes sense? So to me, to me, it's it's what's the next shoe to drop? Is it does one not drop, you know, or does a big one drop? And that's going to ultimately decide how impactful this week was, in my opinion. Um, and and so I, I get I kind of get the cynical side, but I also say, well, like, wait and see. Like, you have no idea. Like, let's just maybe, maybe, maybe nothing changes, but wait and see. And um, and ultimately, you know, some folks right now are rolling their eyes like, I don't want to hear about this. Well, it's just, it's there. Like, you can't just ignore when entire sports leagues are boycotting for a few days, um, and 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 they're they're forcing you to think about it. And I guess that's the point. If you want to turn it off and not listen, I get it. That's your right. That's that's fine. But we're talking about sports because this is sports related. Yeah, and like I said, it's why yesterday I've been kind of starting to look at that approach too. I said, you know, yeah, you look at it from a sports perspective. I look at it as a social perspective in terms of how people feel on both sides of the other. And as I said, it it, it was like a 50-50 phone call. And even the people that um, – Scott were saying, hey, look, we understand where this is coming from. And, and said, look, I mean, the Jacob Blake situation and, and George Floyd situation, that's like a, a human decency sort of thing, whether somebody has in, you know, having a knee on a neck for an extended period of time that way. Or, you know, I think we all universally, you know, even if you go back to the, the Wild West and, and the lore there of the movies, I mean, shooting someone in the back, you know, and things like that. So I think there's a lot of common ground that people can come to. Um, and in that first hour that we had, like I said, it, you had people that were very emotional in certain ways um, on, on both sides of it. Um, you had people calling for change. And, and, and when I, the way I started the show, Scott, is this, you know, I, that's fine. Um, you can call for it. You can want it. You can speak it. You're around my age a little bit, not as old as me, but, um, you know, I'm almost a half century old here. I'm 44, so, and in my time, I've seen both parties hold office at the highest level for eight years, four years, and switch both sides. Um, and I've seen, at least in this city, New Orleans, primarily be run by a certain party and and have a lot of representation in certain races. And, you know, what I've always said is I'm okay with you calling for change. I love the fact that players like LeBron and, and everyone else, every Saints player, Coach Payton yesterday, expressing and talking about the importance of voting, you know, um, and the belief that that can help and change. And it can, and it should. That said, I, I'm, I'm, I want specifics from everybody, okay? What, what are we doing? And I think that's what maybe some of the players are sort of saying there as well. So what are those specifics? What is the timeline? Who is going to be held accountable? Um, we've heard a lot in the last four or five months, the word accountability. 
I'm with you. People should be held accountable. Scott, you're held accountable for your show. I'm held accountable as well in, in a handful of different areas, whether it's content, ratings, sales, you know, doing whatever. So we're, we're held accountable, okay? I Look, fine. You want to blame this person. You want to blame that movement. You want to blame that skin color. You want to blame that party. Fine. So if we're going to move forward, what's the steps forward? And what, I think what, what are those next steps? You yeah, know, and, yeah. but my to my to my thing, Scott, is what is that accountability? Because it's sort of like the coronavirus, which we spent most of the summer talking about, Scott. Where we're sitting there, we're hoping, we're hoping. There's no magical date, you know. No, no, December fifteenth, January first. I don't know when the vaccine's coming out, and then it's going to take months. Like what I keep bringing up is this, Scott, because you were talking about the next shoe to drop. Here's a shoe. Here's a boot that I'll throw to you. When I was talking to some people this week with the Pelicans, um, there's a reason the December 1st deadline, not start line, not deadline, for the NBA was pushed back because Adam Silver and the NBA owners need fans, period, period, need fans. They need the money. Um, the jobs in those arenas need the money. And that's the other thing I brought up yesterday. It's fine if you want to, you know, like Booger McFarland say, I'm entertaining America. That's fine, Booger, if you want to look at the people that are consuming it. But not playing, and again, right now it's different, the bubble. But if you choose to not play later on when fans are available, two-thirds of the concession workers and um, parking attendants that I see at the New Orleans Arena, they need those paychecks. So not playing sports affects the economy. There's no doubt about it. But the thing is, the reason they're pushing back that December start is because they need fans. And I have no idea when that's going to happen. You know, is it magically going to disappear? You know, I find it hilarious every time there's elections that these people say, and everybody says this, right? I can fix, fill in the blank, healthcare, child, you know, schools, the Corona. How do you, how you control and fix something you can't see and do? How? I, I mean, it, it either have to get a vaccine or run this course. I mean, I just, that's just common sense, but to get people's votes, people will say whatever. But my point is, I mean, what's to say we're going to see college basketball with fans? What's to say we're going to see the tournament in different places? I mean, I'm telling you right now that you, know, you heard Sean Payton a couple of weeks ago talk about a bubble for postseason football. There may not be football fans this year, or at least not in that number. You know, the Dolphins are going to try with 13,000, and there's a very good – one big plan that's being talked about right now is regional bubbles for the NBA to start back up, right? Um, they, they could have something as simple as playing in your own arena without fans. So that that's right around the corner. I mean, September is next week, so we keep kind of looking at it as, oh, at the end of the year. No, it's right around the corner. Um, what's the same major league baseball, Scott, is, is going to go back to having fans next, you know, April. I mean, it's not that far away. So if all of that happens, that's why I said the dynamic of sports may be consumed and changed differently because if we're a year or two years where people either choose, like you said, to consume it and not to and say, you know what, I've had enough. I'm not going to do it because here's another reality I spoke about on the show yesterday from friends and, and comments that I've gotten. It's not cheap to go to sports anymore. And look, I'll be the first one to admit it. And Scott, you probably understand this as well. We don't make a ton. And if I'm not getting the media credentials or passes, I can guarantee you I'm not going to as many NBA games. Like I can't afford it. No. Um, NBA seats are expensive. Uh, LSU football is not cheap. You know, you, most tickets are tied to a donation to the university. Um, 
you know, you name it. I mean, it is not cheap to attend these games. And in, in, in an economic world where people either laid off, still have pay cuts, um, who's advertising, who's hiring, doing these things, there's going to be real decisions being made over the next, I'm saying, 12 to 24 months where if a company has to decide, I'm going to keep Scott Prather employed or I'm going to advertise with some people, or I'm going to keep Scott employed, or I'm going to go spend you know, 25 season tickets, I might cut back to five, that's going to affect. So that's why I keep saying what's interesting to me is see where sports is going to go here in the next 12 to 24 months because of whether what we're seeing with social issues, whether what we're seeing – with players wanting to unionize in college, which is going to change an incredible dynamic with college and money. And thirdly, the consumer. The consumer. If the consumer doesn't consume in the amounts that we have been in the past, things are going to change. Simple. The next big shoe to drop, what will it be? Um, in 2020, who in the hell knows at this point, Gus? Gus Gattengale, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, our guest, ESPN 1420. ESPN1420.com and the ESPN1420 app. All right. While I got you guys, do want to talk to you about the Saints uh, training camp a little bit and the uh, the 53-man roster. Um, you know, let's, let's start with – I want to start with tight ends and quarterbacks because I think it comes back to one guy because you're going to have three quarterbacks in Breeze, Hill, and Winston, and I think you're going to have three tight ends in Cook, Troutman, and Hill – the other guy is the quarterback slash tight end Tommy Stevens, who's raw, who has done some things uh, well in practice, um, has some upside. Uh, but, like, you know, remember, I mean, Hill can play some reps at tight end. You know, this is a guy that Sean Payton wanted to sign as the UDFA, but they were going to sign with Carolina. So he, you know, got emotional and decided right. he was just going to draft him and, and trade a pick for a future <laughs> year. You know, Peyton just going to, going to Peyton at the end of the day. Uh, does Tommy Stevens make this team? Because if he doesn't, you know, there's some other petty teams out there too, uh, Sean. It's possible that Tommy Stevens decides, guess what? I, um, I, I got to deal with an active roster. So I'm, I'm bouncing. If you guys don't put me on the active roster here in New Orleans. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think one of the things that, that does stand out, as you mentioned, is um, that I would really thought about until you brought up. Yeah, I mean, if um, you do the moves that you make and, and go about it the way you did, then uh, you almost kind of have to have them be on that team. But I guess I go to this, Scott. This team is deep, and this team was going to be tough to make a roster whether you're you know, upper draft pick or, or lower draft pick. And I think one of the things that you um, that you see, that's just what it's going to be right now. So, you know, look, I, I think there's a lot of potential. There's, there's ways that I know <clears throat> the Saints have done in the past, perhaps. The old uh, training camp IR injury, Scott, the old, uh, uh-oh, that's a serious injury suffered at practice that nobody saw his at least stash this year on IR. We'll see him next year. <laughs> I think you know. Uh, see, the reason I brought up Stevens, right, right, the old, the old Saint, the old Sean Payton red shirt, right. Oh, you got a stub too. Mm-hmm. Oof, buddy, you're gonna have to get that looked at. Let's go ahead and uh, just let you not play football for a few months. I think the difference this year is Stevens has a little bit more of um, a flashlight on him because of as we discussed how the draft went down with him, but like in a, in another year you get preseason. So you see 
UDFAs all over the league. And aside from seeing a few on Hard Knocks, if if you're watching it this year and it's a snooze fest, you're not really seeing like a ton of like write-ups on you. I mean, like go look at, at other teams too and like try to read about some UDFAs and get anything super in-depth. You can't. And it's not – it's not like journalists' fault. It's because you don't have the amount of normal access you get either. And it's not like any of the coaches. It's not just the Saints, Gus. Go go look up, you know, the guys on the Bears beat or the Lions beat or the Broncos beat. You're not going to find many details about UDFAs on any teams. You'll find a few on the Saints, but not much at all. Not much at all aside from, oh, here's a rep this guy had in practice and here's what happened. And that's in a small amount of time. So, like, folks might bring up Malcolm Roach, you know, Saints fans, but they're doing that based on what he did in college. But ultimately, he's a UDFA. So, with the practice squad now being up to 16 players and guys around the league, typically scouts, not being able to get a lot of intel on other UDFAs from other teams, I don't know that you're going to see many make the roster, but, boy, I bet you the Saints practice squad this year. And now you can have – it used to be, well, if you have more than three accrued seasons, you can't even be on the practice squad. Well, that's not the case anymore either. I mean, you can have up to six spots where it's guys can have any amount of time. But I, I would be willing to bet 10 of those practice squad – like more than half of the Saints practice squad are going to be UDFAs from this year that are in Saints camp right now that we really don't know anything about because – they can't get a lot of intel on UDFAs from other teams, and yet other teams can't get, get them on their guys. And so they're likely not going to try to sign them to their active rosters. So when that practice squad comes out, I would just think a lot of these names on the, on the list of, uh, you know, the, between from 53 to 80 of those 27 players in Saints camp when they end it, I would, I would be willing to say a dozen of those 27 are all on the Saints practice squad this year. Yeah, and look, I think there's one thing that I found interesting uh, when I was kind of thinking about it, like you, Scott, about what the future will be with this roster. I'm like, you know, there's no way that, again, this is a guy that's thought 15 you know, weeks ahead, man. Um, I think he has an idea what that roster is already. I think he has an idea of those players that's already there. Um, obviously, man, you're looking at, I would say less than half a dozen players where, you know, Saturday's scrimmage in the dome and the second scrimmage before the season starts will determine a lot of different things just because of like, he's been saying every day when he's made available to us, man, it's, um, it's hard to, to be able to kind of look at some of these guys and and get the look that you want the way things are set up right now. Um, which is sort of like I was talking about it this week and every, every, we have a baseball segment, Scott. I know you're a Mets guy. You know, um, when the trade deadline's coming, I, I have a hard time believing, you know, why would you make the move to, to, you know, release assets and all that? I think you just play out this year with eight teams getting in, and then we'll see what happens next year, and, and, and you do that. Because I just I just look at this season as, look, it's, it's completely different, I, and I don't think you want to miss out on, on somebody. I mean, you look at the team's all-pro kick returner <clears throat> who made the team last year based on the preseason, period, based on the preseason, because I watched, you know, most of those practices at training camp like everybody else, and I can tell you during special team periods, most of us are talking about eating or whatever, and 
because it's not, it's not that we're not paying attention. It's not much you can do. There's no live tackling, you know? Um, you and me go back there, we catch it. Can we catch it or not? It's pretty obvious if it, you know, hits our pads and hits our hands in and out and we miss it. Um, but then after you catch it, you either go left, you go right, you go up the middle and as fast as you can, and then you try to go all the way to where the punter is and then you or the little machine that shoots you the ball and you go back. I mean, how can you determine if that's a real punt returner? You know what I'm saying? So um, I think that's the fear. So I think he probably understands there's some handful of players there that he'd like to continue to see grow. Um, so whether it's the IR injury, whether it's bashing them on a practice squad, I just, I don't know how you can, I mean, again, you know, last year, what I think three UFAs made the team. I mean, you know, you DFAs or whatever um, didn't. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. It's going to be interesting to see what that roster can look like. ESPN1420.com. Is there, you know, we, we, we talked about the Saints having the deepest roster in the league, um, arguably, and, and we can't say that every year, but this year you can. And I don't think you're going to be able to say that next year because if they don't work out a, a new TV deal, uh, then you're going to see a big decrease in the cap. And as much as people like to talk about Mickey Magic with what Loomis does to the cap, if they have a, a significant drop that they didn't anticipate when the offseason began or certainly when some of the contracts currently on the team were signed um, because you couldn't have seen COVID-19 coming, then you're, you're going to have to make some tough decisions and get rid of some guys. So right now, 2020, they've got, I think, the deepest roster in the league. So typically, you know, we're, we're talking about camp battles here and there. You could pencil in the start in 22. Um, I, I guess my question to you is, is there a guy on this team that is a, a notable name that you think is in a lot of trouble of not making the squad? Yeah, and like I said, I think that's the thing that's going to be, some, you know, one of those storylines looking forward to see where that sort of goes, Scott. Um and I thought you brought up a good point, too, with all, all the different teams and coverage. I, I, I'm sure you saw this week, a long time, I guess, it's a play-by-play guy, right, for the Bills and, and the radio play-by-play guy and also an in-house reporter. He got suspended for, for making a comment about practice or something that what the Bills are or something. Um, I saw two other reporters this week um, that did get limited access you know, tweet something out or pictures and they're getting, the teams are getting even more and more yeah. tight with that. I just saw this morning, you know, going on my walk this morning, you know, the, the Bucks guy um, saying, Hey, look, you know, we're, we're not going to be allowed today to, to shoot anything or tweet or do all those different things. So um, now that you don't have fans, because that was the only reason you were allowed to, to do that when you were outside with Saints camp, um, you're not going to get that info. Teams aren't going to get that info. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be hard to, to kind of look at what some of those roster spots are going to be. But um, I think it's kind of interesting, though, to be honest with you, Scott, to have coaches now kind of feel or go back to the college way of things, right? I mean, college teams right there, you know, Coach Napier, you, you don't get preseason games. You you have to evaluate on practice. And, and most of the time, I guarantee you what, half the time coach comes on uh, your station, Scott, he, he's probably talking about a game or two or three and still trying to find, you know, positions or rotations and all because it takes games. It takes game action, game speeds. I know when I talked with Coach Fritz for Tulane, it's, I mean, we're three, four games in, you know, looking what the rotation is. And guess what happens by game six or seven? The guy that didn't get a lot of snaps all of a sudden starts to get snaps. I mean, it happens every single year. You have an idea. You know your guys, your studs, your stars, but you need games. You, you need game action to be able to determine that. So 
to be very interesting to see how the NFL season sort of changes and if teams get better um, or, or start off slow because some of those decisions weren't good. You know, did you keep the right player? Did you, or like Sean says, right 53? Who are the right starters? Um, again, Saints, I think, are different. I think that's a team that just gets to September 13th healthy. I just think everything is pretty much set, and, and it's just about the depth. And who will be the next sort of young players? But other than that, it's um, it's hard to, me, to find anyone, right? Like, like in terms of surprise cuts, like I guess in terms of a name that would be familiar to folks, I don't think Will Clapp's going to make the fifty-three, but I think he'll be on the practice right. squad. Um, you know, even though he's played, you know, the last two years, maybe Cameron Tom. But we're talking about backup offensive linemen here. Like, I, I think. In terms of receiver, like, I mean, Thomas Sanders, Smith, Deontay Harris, after that, okay, Benny Fowler, maybe he makes the team, maybe he doesn't. But, like, is that, is that a surprise if Lil Jordan Humphrey or Emmanuel Butler or Fowler, like, whichever one makes it or not? Like, that's – you can debate it, but really it's not much of a story. Um, and other guys, again, practice squad. So, typically we're looking at a Saints roster at five or six spots, and, boy, this, this is probably – this guy might get cut – uh, maybe Saquon Hampton, who was on the team a little bit last year and then got put on IR. He was that rookie. I think he was a six-round pick. Played a little bit last year, but these aren't the notable names. I mean, those are just a couple of guys that come to my mind that, okay, they've actually played some snaps for the Saints in the past, and they might not, they, I, I would put them maybe on the outside looking in at the 53. But that's like so much less than your normal year. I don't. I don't foresee any surprise cuts right now. Now, some were a little surprised when they released Nigel Bradham. Um, you know, I talked to Nick Underhill this week. He was he was not in hearing how he looked in the limited time the media got to see him. They said he was just he was kind of standing out for the wrong reasons, a little behind on things, um, running with the third team. And when you have a veteran that comes in, you know, the Saints have shown They'll they'll release you early on, so you have a better chance of catching on with another team in camp than just kind of drag you on here. Uh, so I, I I think typically we're looking at, and it's not just because of COVID nineteen and no preseason. Though I think if we saw some some of these UDFA's playing in preseason games, Gus, we might be talking a little bit more like, uh oh, is he going to edge out this guy? But without that, coupled with how deep the Saints roster is. You know, the the whole let's look at the 53-man roster of who's in and who's out is probably about as boring an exercise this year as it's ever going to be when it comes to the Saints. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Um, like I said, and, and that's a good thing, I guess. You know, um, not as many uh, decisions to be made. I think another good thing out of all of this is knowing that um, this team is kind of, you know, I mean, that's what it is. They look, you know, Scott, I kind of mentioned this um when, when Drew Brees first had his first media availability, he was talking about Bernie Fowler. Um, and it just really yeah. screamed to me that they kind of seemed like he was saying, hey, this guy can help me now. All these other young receivers, that's great. They got potential, but this guy can sort of help me now, which is sort of like we've always expected Drew to be saying, hey, look, it's now or never. But, I mean, he's sounding like that now. Um, because I think that's where this team is. And in the two weeks of padded practices, Scott, you hear the same interviews I do. Whether it's Ramchek, it's Cam Jordan, it's Rankings, and you know Malcolm Jenkins saying it's the best defense. I mean, I, people are either saying it's Super Bowl or bust, joking about it, or saying, "Look, we understand that's what that is." Kamara, all these guys, man, or um, 
know know what they have. And like I said, that's why I, I think it's it's about staying healthy. You know, the next um, couple of days here and weeks, you know, three Sundays, three Sundays we'll have, you know, Saints Bucks. And I think it's just get your work in, get ready to go, and, uh, and let's see where you can go here. Man, 16 days away. It, it, it's just, it's like, I don't know. It's it's right around the corner, and somehow it kind of feels like it's sneaking up on us a little bit. Um, but I don't know, man. I I never like I've never been one to enjoy preseason. I've always found it to just be a tease, and it's like it's just not the real thing. It's like if you want to go to your favorite restaurant, but they shut it down, and temporarily a next door is like a knockoff, but the quality is so much lower, and you really just want the real thing. Like that's all preseason really is. At least, at least that's how I've looked at it. But now, you know, I got to admit, like as as difficult as a watch as it is, sometimes uh, it gives it gives us a lot of content, you know. So it's like, I, you know, I can overanalyze things. I can have some fun. I, I, I oddly enough, I don't I'm, I don't enjoy it, and yet I oddly miss it. I know that's a weird, uh, you know. I know I'm I'm I don't know I'm. I'm basically saying one thing uh, and, and another at the same time, but that's just how I felt about it this year. So there's a part of me that kind of misses mm-hmm. it. Obviously, I didn't think they were going to have it, and they shouldn't. Um, they did the right thing here. You know, you don't you don't need guys traveling all cross country uh, with with COVID and stuff like that. Speaking of COVID, Gus, as we only have a few more minutes here, um, in terms of the Saints, at any moment it could just pop up. But you know, so far so good, right? In terms of the Saints, and I know. Gail Benson, the amount of money she has spent on also giving media members uh, the swab test constantly. I mean, um, it's not just the players, which you have to do, but also uh, others that just want to cover this team. I mean, from a COVID standpoint, the Saints to this point seem like they've followed and taken all the necessary steps. No, yeah. Um, I think that's the one thing that, that's really stood out too. And, and Scott, not just even them. I mean, when you when you look around the league, so far pretty good, right? I mean, all those different numbers. I know you had last weekend that scare with the Bears with 11. Um, that turned out to be false positives. But um, I, I think um, – I, I, do, do you see maybe not the team not, not kind of sort of following a little bit of this during the regular season? I know Sean Payton kind of said the postseason was going to be um, – you know, you could see teams doing the bubble and things like that. But I, um, yeah, look, I, I think it was just one of the smartest, simplest ideas when you think about it. Uh, the hotels are closed, essentially. So, you know, you can create kind of your own bubble environment there. And it, it's open, not mandatory, but you can go in and out. And for the most part, you know, um, you know how it's like in training camp. You've caught them before, man. I mean, you, those guys are here at 8, if not earlier, and – you know, you have your afternoon walkthrough, you have your, your meetings and, and film review sessions in the afternoon. Those guys are hitting the bed and waking back up. So you're, you're really limiting where you can actually sort of go, um, you know, put yourself in, in the way to be able to get it or not because for the most part, you're you're on a football field or with the team. No doubt. Gus Catgill, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, has been our guest over there from the Crescent City. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, my final question for you, Gus, it's not – it's kind of Saints-related. It has to do with the team in the division. Uh, I've been having some debates uh, with, you know, one of my friends and coworkers, Norman Locke, among others. There seems to be – I feel like most people feel like Tampa Bay is going to be really good and a contender this year. 
I don't think the Bucks are going to be bad, but I'm not. I think it's more sizzle than steak. I have questions about their own line. I have questions about Tom Brady at 43 being in a completely new offense. And when you look at the history of Bruce Arians' first year with a new quarterback, the turnover rates, he's going from a very controlled environment. Uh, Josh McDaniels overseeing everything within the offense to Arians being like, Tom, just let her rip, do whatever you want. They've got great. They've got great wide receivers. They've got great tight ends. There's no question. Their their running backs are about average, but like the offensive line, man, it, it's it's a question mark. And um, Tom's not the most mobile guy. Yeah, he might have a quick release. I just I, I think Tampa Bay is. I think they're like an eight and eight team. Maybe they win nine, but I, I think they're a five hundred team this year. I just wanted your thoughts on the Bucks before I let you run in terms of. The expectations, the hype, are you buying it? Are you skeptical? What are your thoughts on Tampa? Man, I got to be honest with you. I, I would lean more stake because of this, Scott. And I completely understand the fizzle or, or fizzle because of, I look at it like this, right? Um, Tom's not young, and, and you don't know how that, you know, when Father Tom kind of clicks in. And look, I mean, obviously he was injured a lot. He's had darn near two seasons off for Gronk, but Last time on the field, still ran people over, but he wasn't exactly fast or anything of that nature. But I think the biggest upgrade, I think why one of the reasons people feel Tampa's going to be strong is leadership. Leadership and lack of turnovers. Um, the last two seasons, people have thought the Bucks could be that team to push the Saints because of the talent they have um, and the potential that they have. They, they do have some weapons on offense. They do have some real, you know, some nice players on the defensive side of things. They just had two seasons ago a really bad head coach. They couldn't control anything. Um, and then last year, Arians didn't buy into Jamison. They were darn near eight and eight. And you know, and quite honestly, you know, Scott, that was a team that probably could have and should have won a lot more games than they did, and they didn't, based on the fact that you know their quarterback kept turning over the football. I mean, we had a guy on that did Tampa force every week. And he's like, look, man, he throws half of those. He throws a third less of those interceptions, five, seven, 10 of those are less picks. And the bucks win three, four more games. So I think the talent is there. I, I, you know, I'm with you. I don't think Brady's going to look like Lamar Jackson or, you know, Patrick Mahomes. He didn't have to be. Um, Teddy Bridgewater won every game that he started with the saints by literally not taking risks but not turning the ball over, right? I mean, mean, when you looked at what Teddy did with the Saints last year, he just played within the offense and limited. I mean, we we saw more puns than we ever saw. But Tom Brady is going to know the defenses, and and he's able to make the right decisions. He'll still throw a pick or two, but for the most part, he's going to make, I would say, more often than not, the right decisions and choices. Getting rid of the football quickly is going to be key. But if you follow the reports there, that's that offense, man. He's going to get rid of that ball in a second or two. So you'll see screens, you'll see slants, you'll see tosses, you'll you'll see him do those things and then take shots. And quite honestly, if you go back to that NFC Championship game two seasons ago, again, I, I've referenced it several with that young quarterback, a lot in the dome, with the noise, with that young quarterback. Before the two shots, the, the touchdown before half, and then before the two shots, the, the touchdown before half, and then before the end of the game there to go to overtime, those are maybe what two of the three or four shots that they even took in that game. 
everything else was inside and short, and, and it was something that golf could get rid of the football quickly. So I think that could work. And if, and if Brady just does that, compete with the Saints. I, I wouldn't be surprised um, if they're 11 or 12 wins, the Saints. I, I wouldn't be surprised um, if they're you, 11 or 12 wins. Uh, all right. Well, I, I've got them at 8-8. Eight and eight. You say 11 or 12. We'll see. I, the last thing I'll say is just I think there's a dichotomy when it comes to Jameis Winston in, in, in when he was in Tampa and this idea of leadership. Like, you know, I mean, Bruce Arians was there last year, and yet you look, you read about how great Jameis is looking in Saints camp, and granted, it's just training camp. I get it. But how good he's looking, um, all of the positive attributes, like maybe him being at a place with some better leadership can help Jameis as opposed to when he was in Tampa – the, it, it, it kind of all the blame gets put on him instead of perhaps some of the leadership above him. That's the only thing I'll say. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I'm skeptical of Tampa, but I, I'm also, I think in the minority there, I know a lot of folks feel like Tampa is going to be a contender this year and, uh, and win a bunch of games. We're going to see him in the Superdome uh, in 16 days without fans, but going up against the saints you might think, I used to say, hey, it's good. You catch them early, right? New system. They don't get the preseason reps. The Saints have a lot of continuity. And then Mike Triplett said, yeah, you know, Scott, but it's not like the Saints have gotten off and played great early in seasons either. And I'm like, you know what? That's a fair point that I probably shouldn't ignore. So we, uh, it's going to be here before we know it. Gus Cattengill has been our guest. Gus, all the best, man. Thinking about you guys a lot. 